This is the Business of Apps podcast, bringing you actionable insights from the leaders of the global app industry and the world's fastest growing apps. You can find more app news, data and analysis over at businessofapps.com. Welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. On this show, we invite app industry professionals to cover various topics. We promise to do our best to keep it both insightful but brief. In this episode, we have Simon Desert, CEO at Adjust. Simon, welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. Hi, Art, and thanks for having me. I appreciate the invite. Great. Thank you for coming. So um, let me set the stage first. Uh, here's, the, uh, here's a question you may not expect. Do you remember yourself when you were 15? And the tough one for all parents, do you remember your kids when they were 15? Today, we will be talking about the very special 15-year-old quote-unquote kid, the App Store from Apple. Time runs really fast. We all have passed wondering about the App Store as a unique mobile software ecosystem. We have other things to wonder about these days, like ChatGPT or the unstoppable growth of TikTok and the rest. Today, to talk about the App Store through the years and its evolution, we have Simon. But first... Let's kick off with talking about you first. Uh, please tell us about yourself. Yeah, sure. Uh, I am not 15. I'm slightly older. Um, and I've been at Adjust for about 10 years now, uh, joining 2014. So at the very beginning of the whole boom that was the MMP marketplace and, and all the apps, etc. cetera. Um, and yeah, I'm the CEO of Adjust. I've been CEO for just for a bit two years now, year and a half, two years, um, and um, know the ecosystem quite inside out, to be honest, because I've seen it grow from what it was in 2013, 14 to what it is today. Gotcha. Um, okay, hands down, Adjust is one of the most recognizable names in the app industry, but just for the sake of people who may not know about the company still, uh, please tell us about Adjust. Yeah, so Adjust was founded in 2012, uh, based in Germany, headquartered in Germany. Uh, it's now a you know, global company uh, with offices pretty much everywhere. What we do is measurement analytics, so pretty you know, simple. If you have an app and you do any kind of marketing, you need to use a company like Adjust uh, because we help you define whether your campaigns are successful, or not, and how successful they are uh, with all of our measurements. So, you know, evaluate your ROAS, your, even your retention rate, your installs, etc. but like the, the key of like every campaign is whether your ROAS or your CP hit your targets and we help you measure that so that you know where to put your budget and you get the most bang for your buck, basically. That's gotcha. pretty straightforward. You're providing the data for any app developer, how his things are doing in terms of advertising, what's, what are the... Um, are they are they great or not? In the for the every app marketing campaign they're doing like blind flying, <laughs> no, what's the term? Uh, doing marketing without any data is like flying blind. Um, it is, it is, and we also help ad networks with the data that we have, uh, the all this measurement and attribution data. We help ad networks optimize so they can hit the targets that advertisers have set out to to reach, so they get the best return on investment, basically. Great, because we live in a very complicated and big 
network of ad networks to run the ads for your uh, app on so many places and without having the central dashboard to make sense of all this crazy data, it's not going to work. You will be just wasting your money. Yeah. Um, moving on. Um, we're in the cusp of the App Store launch anniversary. So let's get back to 2008. All great times it was. Instagram did not exist. Facebook was pretty benign. Generative AI was part of the science fiction back then. Uh, but that was the year when Apple launched the App Store. Uh, Simon, what is your recollection of that launch? Uh, what did you think back then about the mobile apps? I mean, what's interesting is that apps in general, whether they be on not on mobile at the time, but like even on computers, they've always been around, right? Like you had apps, you could install them through like CD-ROMs, you could yeah. just exchange them like physically. And I think the the real thing that the App Store changed is that it centralized all of it into one spot. So it was it became much easier to download, install, and use apps with that launch. That's what really like helped apps just explode. Mobile also exploded at the same time with the iPhone, right? Like you can't really separate the two. They, they go hand in hand together. Um, but I think that's really what drove all of the, the adoption of apps is the fact that it was just it became so easy. You had the terminal and you had the interface to just install, download, and use apps through the App Store instead of like the much more... Uh, analog method of giving you a CD with an app on it or, you know, whatever software was on it to, to install. That's like that to me, that's really the, the main, the main memory I would say of like, oh, this is so much easier now to install any kind of app because I know where to go. I just know where to go to install it. And I know that it's been checked and it's safe and it's proven exactly. and it's just clean. Yeah, I was just going to say that Apple brought its own brand, the huge level of trust that the company had by that point with so many app users, or not app users, uh, the users of their other services. So when they launched the App Store, it was like the natural progression. Guys, after the music, uh, here's the next frontier, the software. So you have a trust us with music, uh, buying uh, tunes for your uh, iPod. Why not to trust us with the software? Because you know we're pretty serious about um, making sure that everything is safe. So this is the place you can trust us and uh, no worry that you're just grabbing lots of apps on your phone and you're going to get the same mess you had on your PC or um, because by that point, though, the problem of uh, virus, uh, computer viruses was still raging. Yeah. And it was really important to make the case the App Store is the place to get your software and sleep nicely after that. Pretty much. It's like a very simple interface to know that whatever you download from there, it's clean, you can use it, it's been checked. And like it, it that's, I think, what drove like app adoptions, right? Like it just became so much easier to just look for something, download it and use it. Boom. Easy. Moving on, what... Um... At what point after the launch did you get this feeling that there is a big potential for the platform? Because we do remember what was the number, like 500 apps at the very beginning. Um, the the history goes that Steve Jobs had to be convinced that this is a good idea by his team. He was against initially. 
he thought that you know uh, uh, web apps is the way to go. Uh, so the App Store was pretty much you know brainstormed again inside the Apple, and uh, they decided to go with. And Steve finally got on board. But just five hundred apps. Um, at what point you thought the potential that it's really a huge platform to be on? I mean, like the the thing with. You know, when you have computers, you were plugged into like your Wi-Fi network or your LAN cable or whatever. You had like a connection that was strong enough. On mobile, you had to have the the network to be developed and to be able, like, be able to sustain just downloading apps. And if you look at all of the streaming apps that we have now, also just like stream live data between your terminal, your mobile phone, and whatever server. Or if you look at your know, GPS all of the, the fitness apps that track like your steps and your journey, like it's all of this relies on connectivity that is strong enough to just actually get this data flow to be seamless. And yeah. I think that's like, that's really where you're like, oh yeah, we, it's not just a place where you can, you know, download a couple of games or a couple of like the spray can, like the spray can yeah. app or like the beer app or whatever and play around with your phone. There's also the infrastructure around it that supports the data load to just get all of these transmissions as seamless as possible. And it's getting better and better you know, as time goes by. But I think with that technology, with the fact that all of a sudden you had mobile carriers that shifted charging per like minute to charging per like data, basically, that's when they're like, oh yeah, there's an incentive for everybody around to say, hey, let's just build the best data pipeline system ever in the infrastructure because the better the connection, the more apps are going to be there, the more data is going to be consumed and everybody's going to just make more. And that's where you're like, oh yeah, that's going somewhere. Like it's going to be just outside of, you know, a couple of gimmicky apps. I don't want to badmouth the, the spray can app because our founder actually built it in his previous company. So I don't want to badmouth it, but like right. that's, uh -huh. that's kind of where it goes from a spray can app to a streaming app that you can just look at on your phone. That's like the, I think, the Nexus, like the Nexus event, basically. No, the, those small apps at the very beginning, they're totally fine. I do remember playing around with the lighter so you can use more or less yeah. your phone. <laughs> it wasn't really a lighter, but it was fine to look the, you know, the animation on the screen. Um, I don't know, on a concert, you can just wave your phone with a lighter. Uh, it was mm -hmm. nice. So the, the, the App Store was like a huge table with lots and lots of ideas just, uh, just laying on the top. And people were grabbing those ideas pretty fast. Uh, it was really easy to get people's attention when the place was really more or less empty. Um, so, um, of course, we cannot talk about the App Store without you know, mentioning the iPhone. Because, you know, software doesn't make any sense without hardware and vice versa. So from the day... One, Apple made the case uh, you should expect the software advances in sync with hardware advances. So every year, there initially was like kind of every year, now it's more like every two years, they bring new uh, hardware features and software follows. Uh, the updates of software means there's an opportunity to create apps, uh, sometimes new kinds of apps. And so the app store growth. Uh, how do you see this evolution? Uh, what, what is your recollection of this all these years of the App Store evolution? Well, I mean, I think the it goes back to 
when you have so you build newer hardware what what does that enable so you could think about like when going back to the connectivity point that i was making earlier it's okay as soon as your hardware is able to sustain better connectivity or even more so like longer battery life because you just have improvements and enhancements onto the hardware and the software to just make the battery last longer it just increases tenfold what an app can do you can start doing like like i said you're tracking your journey across like your steps and where you go and all your all your journeys through whatever maps um, mm -hmm. app without draining your battery you can listen to an audiobook you can watch a movie without draining the battery and i think all of these and with a connection that doesn't like burn your phone mm -hmm. and i think all of these improvements they go with the various generations i don't know if there's like one iteration where it's like oh all of the sudden it created 10 more apps in that or a million more apps in that category obviously you know each new iteration of hardware brings better connectivity better camera and new better camera means like you have more apps that will use that camera snapchat instagram and all the others uh, that isn't possible if your camera doesn't really work well you need to have like good enough quality to be able to make all that content um so that's i think each iteration and improvement on a new on a version of iphones brings incremental value to all the apps that can maximize that i already have a niche in that ecosystem like oh well okay the camera is much better now we can do ar for example yeah. and go and catch pokemons around um that isn't possible if your camera and your ar software doesn't work well and then the apps can capitalize on like the underlying technological layer that apple has built exactly it's a, it's a great point um apple throughout the the whole evolution of iphone always tried to uh calculate the efforts like what's the best use case um for technology or thinking about will it make significant dent in the uh, whole ecosystem to move it forward uh payments uh, ar um fitness they have the health right, fitness. fitness you're holding your iphone right now you can vaguely remember what was it like to holding an iphone in 2008 or 7 or a few years later when um 3g was not on the phone NFC chip was years ahead. Uh, it was not, you know, nobody thought about this concept initially. Now you're just paying everywhere, uh, not with your phone, but with your watch or, um, and just, just take it for granted. But all those hardware iterations, just like we're saying, allowed new software come in in the App Store to grow. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, um, well, this is great. Well, the growth was phenomenal, but uh, it's, it's just impossible for any ecosystem, and of course, the App Store become the ecosystem at some point, to grow infinitely. This is the place for uh, lots of companies competing with each other. Um, it's just not conceivable to make them happy equally all the time. So there's this point of saturation. Um, so you remember approximately at what point you, you saw that yeah this is the point of saturation so the growth slows down uh it was kind of a foreseeable but nobody thought about it at the beginning but this is a reality at that point i 
I don't know if it has saturated yet, uh, to be it's... honest, because like I think all of the sales developer, like sales on the App Store, they've gone up like almost a bit less than 30% year on year since 2020 or so. And it's not just like pandemic drive, it's also happened in 2022, right? So I think there is, of course, it's much harder to get into a, a, a market that is already packed with heavy hitters, but I don't know that the App Store has saturated. Like in some markets, probably you have like fewer newcomers that just explode, but the world is big. And so like while some markets might be saturated in, I don't know, in France, I'm French, in France, while some mm -hmm. markets might be saturated, they might not be saturated in Indonesia. And so like the world is very big and you have a lot of companies out there. And given like the sales growth for like developer sales and billings in the app store has still gone up 25 to 30%, I think uh, over the past three years or four years. I don't know if it's saturated. Like, I don't know. My point was just in general terms, just the number of apps. Obviously COVID proved us all wrong. Uh, we thought that people stopped downloading the apps, like the growth, like if, you, if you're uh, paying attention uh, to the, if any, or now it's data AI numbers, you saw that, okay, uh, you, you were just tracking year over year growth, how many new apps are coming in. Sure. And obviously, so kind of a plateau, but then COVID happened, yeah. so the numbers went up significantly. We know the reasons why, uh, but I, I, I like your point. So you're saying that the um, opportunity is still there. It's not saturated in terms of you can make a new businesses. So the app store as a mall is not closed for new businesses to come in and make money. Um, just the number of apps, like, um, uh, I don't know, roughly 5 million between the, the two app stores. Uh, the mm -hmm. Android one has the more apps. Yeah, than I the think it's 1.8 yeah. or 2 million on iOS and like yeah. 3, 3 point something on Android. Yeah, plus the, from time to time, they had to make these cleanups when the yeah. real old apps that were not updated or some, you know, spamware on the Android side, which we know happens way more often sure. than the iOS side. Um, so um, the proverbial question about the indie app developers, like uh, we know that the App Store is an ecosystem, uh, have these two big camps, the huge powerhouses of companies that churn mobile game titles on a regular basis and uh, uh, make really big money uh, on a quarter based on annual base and small and uh, mid-sized companies up to the indie developers, uh, individuals who are, who are working to create new apps. So this question, um, is there is a potential, is there is, um, is it still viable for into developer to hope that he can launch the app uh, and make a viable business of it. What are your assessments for now? I mean, I would say yes, um, because like I said, the world is really big and you have a lot of different markets in which you can play. And so of course it's not the, in, and we see it right in like how it's consolidating and everything. It's not the same thing as in 2012 uh, when it just like was blowing up. Uh, where you literally could do whatever you wanted and there was you, you had maybe one competitor and like it was right. just a race mm -hmm. now it's very different but at the same time you can learn from all of 
what happened in the past. So I have conversations from developers that are starting or they are they want to break into a market and we can tell them like, well, this is how you need to do it because others have done it and they've been successful doing it or they tried that way and they failed. And I think you get to, you still have apps that coming up all the time and actually getting big, right? I mean, the, the grocery deliveries, sure, the pandemic helped, but like that's something that came up, what, four years ago? Uh, and it was never really a thing that, people thought about and it just exploded recently it's still going on so i i don't think uh, we have new social media and social networks that are happening like almost all the time uh, some succeed some like get consolidated but it still is a thing that is happening all the time so if i think if you have a, a niche and you know what worked and what failed in the past you know your niche you know what kind of users you want um you have experience in what succeed, what failed. It's just a matter of execution, right? Like you can you can also now use methods that were not were not available before. Like influencers have gone much bigger now than they were seven years ago. Uh, like if we take the midpoint of the app store, uh, seven eight years ago, influencers weren't driving as much of an audience as it is now, so they weren't as much top of mind as they are today. And I think this is you can play on a lot of like these leverages that companies that might be more established never really played with because they have their business it's big enough now and they don't they don't have that they're not in touch as much as you as a small scrappy developer you're like okay how do i make it big but we see this opportunity we still see developers that come out of nowhere and just blow up and then succeed great sam and it's a great inspiration for folks who are just starting uh don't be pessimistic. Uh, yes, you're not the first in the game, but other folks before you, just like you test bad for ideas, you can use there as a kind of an A-B testing for ideas who may or may not uh, pan out down the road. Uh, just learning on their mistakes or, or, or on their successes, you can create your own app marketing strategy better. Just leverage all this data from uh, yeah. accumulated previously by other folks before you. There's always and, a niche. There's always a niche. And if you execute correctly, like it's going to work. It's hard, right? It's hard. I'm not going to diminish that. It's yeah, yeah, work. yeah. It's so you still have hard. to work, but don't be despair. And um, no. it's a big world. The, it's a very big world with a lot of users. <laughs> and as far as I remember, look, like two, like two billion people are still not on the internet in the world. And when, because of you know, the, economy continues to change there's always an opportunity that more folks will be joining because the internet is like one of the driving forces so in the development markets uh, people are just still coming in um on the app ecosystem exactly. uh, for for them like don't try to be uh, think bigger just zooming out uh, outside of your country or your you know, continent you're living on think globally so there's always all these opportunities if you feel like the us or canada or europe is kind of a saturated for you uh breaking think yeah, asia so latin america mm -hmm. africa um study other markets see what's the potential there because you know people will be perfectly fine to leverage to use the app you're using here at home, they will benefiting from the applications and become your clients. So be um yeah, be very open in this regard. Yeah. 
okay uh vision pro uh <laughs> the very uh, so the vr ar headset from apple that people were looking for guessing um forecasting how it's gonna look like is here and um apple's talking about this special computing as kind of a next big step for the software de development meaning there was a desktop then there was mobile now we're going to special computing. What do you think? I mean, same, right? It's new hardware. We see it with CTV. It's not, you know, as shiny and flashy, but CTV is also a new channel for apps to be developed, for ads to be shown, and for developers to go. And so I think if the market is there, if you have enough adoption, you're going to have apps on this because app developers tend to go to like any platform that shows an attraction with users. You said, like, hey, okay, it, the, the VR headset, AR, VR, they do offer new perspectives on like how you can build your applications, whatever it is, right? Yeah. And so as soon as you have enough traction and big enough user base, there's a case to build apps for this. There are games, right? There are already games for all of these VR headsets. So there is a market. It's not as wide as mobile or desktop but it's also like very early still in market so and as soon as you have enough platform you know of a user base you're gonna have apps built for it we see it with ctv it was also like in its infancy for years and it's picking up steam now as a new channel for app developers to go and you know invest in yeah and um don't forget just like with the previous uh, big hits from apple we're looking in the version one uh, and um, just like with previous platforms um, for software development, um, big companies, the ones who have bigger pockets, uh, they uh, have a luxury to try new market faster just uh, before everybody else. So you can again learn the cases from other folks who are launching, um, trying the new market. Okay, what apps will be actually what the demand will be for specific apps because right now we only see a couple demos if you're lucky tech bloggers got the vision pro headsets in their hands to play with and write reviews but as of right now we only see like very generic um kind of um outlines of how the ecosystem for vision pro will look like entertainment work in very generic terms but just just watch this pace see who are playing with it and uh don't be shy to try yourself something new like it may not be exactly the new iphone in terms of like um, you're not going to be creating the new lighter app for the vision pro but i suppose there are apps like this you know in a different fashion right yeah i mean like and now the the app ecosystem overall has evolved so you know that people are much more skilled in building apps yeah or whatever hardware than we were 15 years ago. So you wouldn't, you would have that. I'm sure they're going to have a lighter app on the Vision Pro for <laughs> sure. Cause like you can get like 3D VR lighter, really realistic, but like that's not going to be the main app. That's going to, that's going to drive most of the engagement. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Simon, been in digital space for more than a decade. Uh, what would you like to change about digital marketing the most? I bet there's something like this for you. I mean, I think what's interesting is that, you know, 
a year ago or a year ago, 10 years ago, what, what we were saying is that there was a real, a lot of people did not really understand the space or wanted to understand the space more like it. So they were like, okay, how does this all, how is it all put together or glued together? Mm -hmm. Like I'm looking at data in adjust, I'm looking at data in other platforms. How do I reconcile all this? And they were like, like was doing it on, on my end with, with our clients. It was like a very like deep dive into all of the data sets to be able to understand like why is that number different than from that number because I want to understand the logic behind it. And so like these deep data dives, they they are still the case and like they always are the case. But I think now that the ecosystem is much more mature and people are much more used to like how it all works. So we know why there would be differences between A and B or why, like how one platform works compared to another and all that stuff. Um, what, I, what we are seeing is this ambition or this demand from clients or advertisers and app developers to just look at, okay, how can I just optimize my day? Like, how can I go through, because all of the data dives were cool for me to understand how it all works, but now, I know how it works. I want to, I trust that it's clean. Yeah. Now that it's clean, how can you help me make my decisions? Like, how can you help me say like, okay, this is good. This is bad. I should put more money there, less money here. I should impact my, how do I impact my marketing spend basically all my, how to optimize my product even um, because that's kind of how I get more out of like, that's how I just make the experience better for my users, whether it be on the marketing side or on the product side. So instead of like spending all my time understanding why one platform shows 11 and the other one shows eight or whatever, I want to be, I want to make sure that this is clean and then be recommended what I should do. Then, you know, as a, as a developer, as an advertiser, I still know better, right? So I can, I can always say like, Hey, look, I don't agree with this because there's something that is cooking that nobody's aware of that's going to change the game. But overall, what I would want to do as an advertiser or even you know, what everybody wants to do is be like, hey, how can I be more creative? How can I actually make a massive impact onto my business and drive my growth? And that's kind of what I would, what also what we're trying to build at Adjust, right? It's how can we just make your day less complicated so that you know what is important, like straight up. So, you know, okay, this is good. This is bad. This is what I need to fix done. We can also fix it. Like we could fix it for you. We can recommend you like, Hey, we can fix all of this for you. Um, so that then you can go back to actually making a massive impact onto your business. And that's kind of, especially when you know, with like the advancements of like machine learning and everything, this is kind of where we are at this point, right? We know enough, there's enough data, there's enough experience out there to know what works and what doesn't we know. So what's the next step? We can automate all of this for you. We can just recommend you like, hey, this is good, this is bad. You should go up, go down. Um, so that you can think about the next step. How do you like improve your product so much it 10Xs, for example? And that's not gonna be by diving through data eight hours a day. Like it's, because everybody understands how it all works now. I think that's, that, that's this part, like this recommendation part, this where like, hey, we can just, help think for you to an extent right so the more options you're getting to advertise your app to be able to connect um connect your mobile app with so many uh, people in different regions uh using uh, different devices 
do it um, efficiently, do not annoy them, uh, find the real users you need. And the more options you're getting, the more complicated the whole system becomes. And you're still the developer. You're not, you know, graduate the university to understand the whole data set you're getting. You still need a provider of data who can tell you, uh, this is the numbers you need to know. This is how you can make your decision without breaking your brain. Yeah. Because you're a developer, you like as a developer, as a marketer, you need uh, my my take is most of your energy should be spent on like building a better product or building better marketing around your exactly. product to advertise the great product that you built. And that's like that's the creativity part, right? Whether it be on the developer side or on the marketing side, it's like how can I get creative to just really show that my product is better? But going back to the point of you know, can new businesses thrive in the app store that has so many heavy hitters? Yeah. If you get creative, if you build a great product and you market your well, sure, work with a provider that you know enables you to do that. Gotcha, Simon. Okay, we are finished with a major topic topic on the table, and that was the first part of the show. We're transitioning to the second one. So here's my chance to ask every guest on the show just a few quick questions. So I do want to help. Listeners, people who are listening to us right now know every person who comes uh, to talk to me better. And here we go. Uh, what smartphone do you have now? Um, are you one of those people who are switching between platforms or staying one side all the time? I have a Pixel Five. It's uh, and I, I I've just I started with an Android and I just stuck with Android to be honest. All right, so you're so, in the Android game. I'm on the I'm on Android, yeah. I, I'm I am using a Mac though, a MacBook, but I'm using an Android. Got it. Um, what is your first mobile phone, the one you can put in your pocket before the multi-capacity smartphones? <laughs> it it was a flip phone. I had an LG, but I wasn't the first one with like color screen, all that stuff. Uh -huh. It broke pretty quickly, actually. But I think it was ah, Samsung, some flip phone thing with where you had like, you know, text messages and all that stuff. And you could write down 10 text messages and my subscription was over. I had to like yeah, it up. was cool. Yeah, those days. Um, now, imagine right now you left your Pixel uh, sitting on your uh, kitchen table at home you're out, uh, what would be the most missing feature for you? Um, well, it depends. Like if I'm, if I need to work Slack, obviously, like everybody else would answer. Um, otherwise, if I'm alone and I'm not supposed to be to work, I guess like Audible, I just, listen to because I don't have much time to like actually read mm -hmm. so I just listen to books instead when I'm commuting to work when I'm walking to work gotcha that's that's a great way to spend free time to listen to some cool books um when you're going to your phone right now um what would be your guess like for a software hardware feature that is not there yet but for you it would make sense it would make it more efficient the better a smartphone for you personally Oh, that's going to be a, <laughs> so you know how the charging port is like USB-C? Uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm very bad at keeping it intact. So it's just it just breaks within like a year of using my phone, it just breaks. And the phone is fine, right? 
but the USB-C charger just dies. And so now I'm using like a wireless charging and it's fine, but it doesn't really charge really quickly or really well. Yeah, so like, I, I, I would, I would say like whatever can fix my USB-C, whatever hardware exists in the world that doesn't break my USB-C charging port would make my life very, very, very easy. Cause I, it's I'm very, like, I don't know. I don't know why it's so bad with me, but, uh, and not very, not a very flashy or sexy answer, but it would be so much more efficient than what I have now. Well, that's a that's totally fine. Everybody has has their own answer. There's no such thing as wrong or, or the right one. Um, okay. Before I let you go, very very final question: How can people get in touch with you and get more information about what you do? Uh, email or LinkedIn. I'm just as a PSA. I'm very bad at LinkedIn, so I tend to log in every three months or so, and usually I have a bunch of messages and I forget to respond. So if somebody gets in touch with me on LinkedIn and I don't respond right away, I'm trying to get better, but I'm just very bad at it. Um, otherwise, email uh, bobby at adjust.com. And that's, uh, and I'm very much better at email. Very, like, much, much better at email. Terrific. Simon, thank you so much for coming and spending time on, on this show with us. Thank you. No problem. Thank you for having me. It was a great time. Great. Bye-bye. And that was Simon Desert, CEO at Adjust. To listen to more episodes, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. Just search for Business of Apps and you will find us easily. Remember, we release episodes on Mondays, so subscribe. You will be able to get new episodes on your smartphone, tablet, or computer as soon as we release them. And please don't forget to leave us a review or comment on iTunes. It is highly appreciated. And all episodes will also be available on businessofapps.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Business of Apps podcast. For more, head on over to businessofapps.com.